Section 8 of Irish Idols by Jane Barlow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 8. God save you, woman dear, what queerness should there be in it at all? said Judy Ryan, looking vaguely disquieted. Why, sure, you were always great at remembering. Often enough you've told us the same things afore now, and it's but natural. Just as if a body climbing a wall would be facing about to look the way he'd come up for the sake of a rest. And there's scarce a one, old or young, said Biddy Ryan, but has the feeling they'd be ready for a good sleep at the day's end, river or no river. Sorra the queerness there's in that. The strongest great big bastoon of a man that ever stepped, she averred, looking argumentatively at the little old woman, would be thinking of getting to sleep when he's tired. There's nothing like it. Not but what to be sitting easy in the sun when you get the chance this away is mighty agreeable. Isn't it now, ma'am? Look at the light dancing away yonder in the pool. You might say the water is thinking to churn itself into gold and silver. Aye, aye, Biddy, said Mrs. Kilfoyle, not looking as far as the bright pool. Tis all like a kind of picture to me. But the warmth of the sun does me heart good, and the simmerin' summerin' there is through it, same as if we had the old kettle sittin' on the hob. The noontide was indeed going by to an accompaniment of elfin clicking and creaking and whirring, kept up unintermittently on the glowing sward with its tenant grasshoppers and beetles and blue and red winged flies, and overborne by a droning boom as often as the dusty bee backed out of one freckled foxglove's purple-shaded cell and went murmuring to toil and swing in another butterflies cruised idly nowhere in particular on white sails or streaked with orange and scarlet and mailed dragonflies poised and darted in vivid jewelled gleams there was scarcely breeze enough stirring to whisk the fuzzy white wigs off the seeded dandelions and up on the ridge of hill a hot air quivered against the rocks like a curtain about to rise Lisconnel, with its bog, lay basking very wide and still, making the most of such a midsummer sun as seldom looks down upon us. Nothing happened to disturb its quiet perceptibly all the long morning. The neighbors had their dinner when the shadows were shortest, which was the most clearly defined hour of the day for them, now that the widow McGurk's old clock had given up even pretending to keep time. And when the turf-cutters began again to pass leisurely to and fro, halting with their creels at the bank where the same group had reassembled, so when, well on in the afternoon, Brian Kilfoyle tramped over the hill into Lisconnel, he found everything there very much as he had left it. A grievous change had, however, come over his own frame of mind. He was in a sort of white heat, both physically and mentally, what with his long walk in the eye of the sun and his wrath and consternation. His look showed plainly that some untoward event had brought about his return surprisingly early, for no one had been expected to reappear in such very broad daylight. "'She's lost it on us,' he said, confronting his neighbors interrogative faces with an ironical calm the price of the pig every penny of it that's all och man alive don't say so said his mother saints and patience however would she happen to go do such a thing said judy ryan you lie said mrs quigley intending to politely convey sympathy mingled with amazement it's truth i'm tellin yous brian said bitterly sure when we were about comin on be the look sure and the walk of the world we had gittin that far wid the old devil skins of a hen that keep her eye cocked to be flyin out on us every step we went three several times she got away wid herself and had mrs mcgurk almost kilt skirmishing after her meself being took up controllin the pig sure they're the first 
thing i beheld was norah and nelly stoopin down lookin for we couldn't think what along the middle of the road so says i to her when we come up is it mushrooms you's a gatherin there woman says i or maybe you'd politefully tell us whether you're weedin a potato bed or walkin to the town and with that she up and began givin me all sorts for not tyin the corner of me old handkerchief right so as the money wouldn't have been slippin out and goin to loss along the road for she'd carried it in her hand the whole way along never let go of it for an instinct and when she thought to be lookin to see was it all right and she comin into the town me soul to the saints if the knot hadn't slipped and never a bawbee was there left in the blamed old rag as regardin the tyin now i have been ready to take me oath anywhere and so i told her i done it safe enough but there have it as you will we've made a good job of it between the two of us every farthin gone here everybody pointed out with slight verbal variations that if twas along the road she'd lost it he might have a great good chance of gettin it yet any person might be findin it passin by sure i'm just after goin over every step of it he responded hopelessly and ne'er a trace any more than if they'd been meltin hailstones there was the ten shilling bit there's no size at all it would roll away into nowhere i'd never look to be seein sight or light of it again but i was thinkin i might be good luck had hit on some of the silver and coppers devil a one howsomever if i'd picked up so much as a couple of shillins mother jewel i had got you your trifle of tay and sugar begorra would i whatever else might be taken or lavin for i think real bad of you bein disappointed of it lord love you brian evick never go for to be troublin' your mind about any such a thing piped mrs kilfoyle she had been in truth looking forward incredibly to the fragrant cups of hot tea with which it was an open secret that her son purposed to provide her upon acquiring capital i don't know that i've ever a fancy these times to be drinkin tea at all ah dear it's a terrible heavy loss on you so it is the both of yous but please god you might get it again and anyways man dear there's the goat you'd twenty different minds about sellin she and a pair of the young hens ud mostly fetch you the price of a wee pig so as you wouldn't be at the loss of a one for fattenin wid all the waste potatoes comin in sure you're dead beat child alive wid trampin it in the sun's blazes sit down easy and be restin yourself or maybe you get a bit to eat first in the house but it's steppin back i must be directly said brian and i have a couple of cold potatoes in me pocket here if i was wantin anything if i don't fetch home nora she and nelly will be searchin the road till this time to-morrow ah the creature said mrs kilfoyle she's frettin herself you may depend if you do a bad turn be ever such an accident you're the feelin twas your own fault all the while and it's cruel discouragin for by bein a part to start you argufyin and contendin brian presently set out again through the rich afternoon light with his fallen fortunes he felt but slightly consoled by his mother's suggestions and dawdled on slowly having no sense of a definite object to make him step out after a while he sat down and ate his cold potatoes in which likewise he found but little solace then as drawing near clayson's boreen he was about to turn off the road and take a short cut across a soft bit of bog just passable in dry weather he became aware of somebody signalling to him on ahead if the hour had been later this might have seemed an alarming incident but in the clear rays where we scarcely believe much more than we can see he at once discerned that it was merely big anne clumping along heavily footed with her market-basket i wonder to goodness gracious why the old woman can't set the flat of her feet 
to the ground like a Christian, he said to himself, while he went towards her, surveying her ungraceful progress with a censorious eye, his mood being attuned to miscellaneously adverse criticism, instead of stomp stompin' that fashion, as if twas her notion to drive home a two-inch nail with each step she took. "'Have you got it yet, Brian man?' she inquired as they met. Brian shook his head. "'Nor never will,' he said, supplementarily. "'Oh, well, you won't be so,' began said with confidence. "'It's bound to be somewheres. "'Tisn't as if twas a pound note that might blow away on you. "'And here's your bit of tay and sugar,' she continued, "'groping among the contents of her basket. "'I thought if that was what you were going after, "'I'd save you a tramp.' "'Tay,' repeated Brian distractedly. "'Tay? Sure, woman!' What talkin' have you of tea, and I would never the price of a hapworth left me in creation? Twould be just borrying alone, like, till you can put your hand on your money again, and the mischief take the inconvenience, twill be to me whatever. Troth, I don't rightly know what I wanted wid gettin' it at all at all, for Mad Bell, she won't touch ever a drop of it, and it's poor work, tay drinkin', when you have it all to yourself. Only me old pig went better than common, and I got hold of a little fellow Pat Ryan's bringin' along for me, surprisin' cheap. So it seemed natural like to get a pound of tea. But then when Mrs. Bryan told me how she was after meetin' the misfortune to mislay all the bit of money, thinks I to myself it might maybe come in handy for you, supposing you weren't wishful to disappoint your poor mother of it this evening and she be like wid her mind set on havin a sup sure mrs bryan was telling me she noticed her this mornin early dustin herself a couple of the cups and saucers when she thought no one was mindin to have them ready fit to cry your wife was too poor woman wid the notion she'd be vexed gettin none though persuade her i so i put me best foot forward for afraid i'd miss you comin back faith there's a power of heat yet in that sun twould be just robbin you downright neither more nor less if we'd take it off of you said brian wistfully eyeing the dark purple parcels which began had by this time fished out of her basket thank you kindly all the same but i couldn't put it on me conscience to a yell suddenly let fast by interrupted them and hurtling towards them over a wet tract of glistening pools came with kangaroo-like bounds which terminated indifferently in land or water a rafferty gossoon count it he panted thrusting something into brian's hand we make it seventeen and fourpence and old mrs kilfoyle says that's right who butterfingers you've dropped two pennies Fay, I needn't ha run the feet off me legs if you only wanted it to sling about the road. And where in the name of everything else did you get it at all? said Brian, staring bewilderingly at his recovered wealth. Lyin' in our window at home it was. Nanny's after findin' it just now, comin' in off the bog. They was sayin' you'd likely laid it down out of your hand somehow before you started settin out this mornin be the piper sure enough i was up there splicin the handle of your mother's old basket and it's just then i must a overlooked it och murder and me standin it out to poor norah that i tied it up most particular in the handkercher corner so as it hadn't a chance to be slippin out be any manner of means i said so as it hadn't a chance to be slippin out be any manner of means i said and that part of it was true enough bedad she'll be for killin me alive when she hears tell but whether or no i'm a proud man to have it back i must be trottin on to let her know it's got for cryin her eyes out to spirit the creature was the last sight i saw of her so you perceive i've no call to be troublin you now about the tea ma'am but i'm highly obligated to you all's one and what hour of the day or night might you be expectin to get home then said began still holding her rejected packets with a mortified air 
for it's not far from sunsettin this instant minute and be the time you've got down to the town and bought your tea and all and legged it back again with nora and little nelly that can't overhurry themselves twill be fine and late bedad it's not much tea your mother'll get the drinkin' of this night if she's to wait for that she's apt to be in her seventh sleep afore you come brian stood perplexed by conflicting wishes he wanted to hasten on and relieve his wife's mind and he wanted his mother to get her tea and he wanted to have the pleasure of personally presenting it to her however the result of his deliberations was that he said well then if it wouldn't be to inconvenience you ma'am i'll ax you to leave it up at our house she'll know all about it and that would be what i'm owing you ma'am he counted out the shillings and pennies upon the lid of her basket and she swept them into it half reluctantly but i'm sure i'm much beholden to you for if it wasn't only for you me mother have been disappointed of her bit of enjoyment this night anyway he set off dog-trotting and big anne said to the lad bill you spalpeen you'll skite home a deal quicker than i'll be stumpin it take the bit of tea and sugar along wid you and leave it at mrs kilfoyle's just slip it unbeknownst on to the table if nobody's in the house and then when she comes in she'll be findin it and as she toiled stiffly along the far-stretching road a flourish of legs and arms dwindling in front showed her that bill was speeding on his errand about lisconnel meanwhile that golden afternoon quietude seemed to close over the perturbing incidents of the loss and recovery of the kilfoyle's shillings as serenely as the still waters of a sun-shimmering lake close again over a fish's leap the last ripple of excitement had so died away that the elders were at leisure to notice some slight symptoms of trouble which arose among an adjacent cluster of small children soon after bill rafferty had started in pursuit of brian they had been playing peaceably together for a long time in a grassy recess young kilfoyles and quigleys and ryans but now some sounds of whimpering distress betokened a marring of harmony arrah now what's ailin you childer inquired judy ryan leaning forward to overlook them from the vantage of a rather higher perch whereupon jim kilfoyle's whimpering developed into a pronounced howl while several of his companions replied shrilly jim's after killin a green beetle he trod on it runnin about and kilt it dead and what made him go for to do that said judy reprovingly sure they're dacent grey-lookin little things if it had been any of them black beasts of dowduffs now they'd ha been a reason in it i'd put me foot on one of them meself fast enough only twould make me flesh creep to go near it i thought i was spyin a sight of one stickin his hideous head out between them two stones a while ago ooch judy gathered her skirts about her shudderingly at the recollection i believe they're but innocent poor creatures all the while if they have an ugly appearance on them said mrs quigley if they were twice as innocent judy persisted i wouldn't touch one wit a forty-foot pole and more betoken i don't know where else they'd a got such a way of cockin up their tails at you unless they were a sort of divil i didn't go for to do it jim said emerging temporarily from his remorse to vindicate his character it ran in right under me feet on purpose when i was watchin for it twinklin in the grass and i didn't know where it would be comin to he was the greenest beetle i ever saw said rose ryan peering at the glitter of emerald shot with bronze and gold which katie sheridan held ruefully in her palm rail purty and shiny he was that coloured look lovely in a string of beads and see now what come to him wid it rose said her mother hortatively rising feminine vanity need never suppose that repressive morals will not be drawn for its behoof because it lives remotely in the far west and goes on bare feet in rags pretty belike he was 
that sot up wid thinkin he was so green and shiny he didn't mind where he was goin and there's how he got kilt if he hadn't been runnin about as if the whole place was belongin to him it might never have happened him at all maybe if danny o'byrne was at home speculated joe quigley he could a set it goin again same way as he mended up the inside of widdy mcgurk's old clock it wouldn't stir in nothin lookin to be ailin it till he gave it an odd poke or two to the wheels and then it went on grand and there's no great signs of anything broke in the beetle och but there's no life left in him whatever pronounced joe's brother who had been warily experimenting with a daisy stalk or else he'd be wigglin his legs like mad every time you tickle em his legs do be very black lookin mind you said katie who seemed to consider that this physical trait materially diminished the pathos of the situation she dropped the creature down on the grass and the regrets roused by its tragical fate subsided rapidly into oblivion only jim the perpetrator of the deed sat still brooding over it beside the body of the slain a prey to the limitless remorse of five-year-olds as the other children moved away from the place he remained squatting in his dejected attitude so long that his grandmother was struck by it and said what ails jim i wonder not to run about wid the others he's apt to be gettin sleepy he's liker to be frettin yet about destroyin of the beetle said biddy ryan jim's unnatural took up wid beasts of the kind his mother was tellin me the other day he come into her some whiles wid his hands full of ladybirds and moths and such and never one of them hurted so he's apt to think bad of killin anything jim said old mrs kilfoyle i'm goin in to mind the fire and when i come out will i bring you the old salt bottle to play wid a bit jim's state of depression permitted him to nod only a joyless and disconsolate assent yet the loan of this article was generally a favour much in request a relic of the mythical good old days and the handiwork of mrs kilfoyle's mother it was a smallish glass bottle to whose inner sides were mysteriously applied shreds of bright coloured fabrics mostly bits of the apple-green chintz which had made her own wedding gown the bottle had then been tightly stuffed with salt which threw out the brilliant hues on a pleasingly white and opaque background and though now somewhat stained and discoloured by the damps of so many years it still remained a precious heirloom in the kilfoyle family whose resources no longer commanded the production of decorative art well i'll bring it along wid me honey said mrs kilfoyle getting up and standing beside the child and if i was you i'd just cover the poor beetle up comfortable under a scrapine of moss or something and let it be i'd leave her he'd leave off being kilt and get skitin about the same way he was before said jim reluctantly accommodating himself to circumstances and beginning to grub up a tiny velvet sod he does be that shinin in the sun maybe it might yet said mrs kilfoyle if twas left in peace and not interfered wid it might a come to itself and you might be watchin it runnin about again be next summer time sure maybe tis no lie i'm tellin him all the while the little old woman soliloquized as she went towards her shadowy doorway with its haze of clear blue smoke for it's ne'er you know i know what's gone wid the spark of pleasure did be in the creature that night not long before the rising of the moon a great wing of feathery white which had spread all athwart the sky at sunset swept away to the east and the stars till then visible only glimmer by glimmer blinking far up behind the drifting plumes were seen to have mustered in one of their vastest assemblies the numberless brilliance of their array attracted the notice of two wayfarers 
who were walking along the bog road towards Lisconnel, so closely muffled by the rustling darkness round about that to the external world they seemed merely voices and footsteps. They've a great old crop of stars up there this night, said one voice, and twinkling fit to thrimble themselves out of their holes. Ay, said the other, I wish I'd as many shillings in me pocket. Talking of shillings, I wonder did Brian Kilfoyle ever get the handle of his money he was after losing on the road. Och, yes he did, poor man, and a good job too. He's got troubles enough on him this minute without any more misfortunes. Why, is there anything gone again the Kilfoyles lately? Sure, didn't you hear tell? The old mother's just died on him. No, bedad, is it old Mrs. Kilfoyle? Och, we're it is through the poor old woman, and what took her at all? Fay, I can't tell you. She'd just stepped indoors this evening to put her pot on the fire, and some of them comin' in a while afterwards, it's dead they found her there. Sure she was a wonderful great age entirely this long while back. The life was ready to flutter away out of her, like the bit of down sitting on a thistle in a waft of wind. Eh, hey, but Brian, poor man, he'll be woeful put about. He was always thinking a heap of the old mother. Sure, when I met him down below only this morning, he was in the terriblest taken at all, because he couldn't be bringing her some little treat he'd promised her, be reason of losing his bit of money. If he'd known but all, he needn't have been frettin' himself about that. But she got it, be good luck she got it, afore she went. And belike, twill be a sort of satisfaction to Brian, and a consolement to his mind, that he done her the last thing he had the chance to. For the time they found her, there she was sitting with her old teapot on her lap that she'd reached off the shelf and she'd the pound parcel of tay opened as if she was intendin' to wet herself a drop och now the creature to think of that wished me soul wished man what was that we heard what was it nothing but a plover pipin over be the look tis a powerful dark night considerin the sight of stars that are out on it howsomever the moon'll be risin' afore you home, bedad. There she is about gettin' up with herself yonder, where the light strikes down, like as if you'd been scrapin' a match against a wall. So she is. Presently she'll be swimmin' up meltin' herself in the light like a bit of ice in clear water, same as she was last night, and then I'll pick me way back finally. Poor Mrs. Kilfoyle, heaven shine on her, soul in glory the decent poor old body she was and always with a good word for every one they'll be real annoyed to hear tell of it at our place and you'll be missin her many a day up at lisconnel it's a great opinion yous all had of her entirely faith and we had then little and big but anyway she's got the best of it over us we'll do well enough if so be we've the luck to slip off as easy when we come to quittin i will we please god chapter ten coming and going the summer following mrs kilfoyle's death was what with one thing and another a drearyish season at lisconnel that little old woman had left a great gap and there came many long spells of gloomy bad weather which seemed to beat people's troubles down upon them as the damp drove the turf reek back through their smoke-holes into the dark rooms, where they could not see how dense the blue haze was growing. Stacy Doyne's marriage also had removed something young and pleasant, and at times, when the thatch dripped without and within, neighbors were apt to talk about her in tones of commiseration, and say, sure her poor mother's lost entirely so that towards autumn the distraction of some new resident's arrival happened rather opportunely. It was made possible by the fact that Big Anne had given up her holding and entered into partnership with Widow McGurk, thus leaving her late abode empty for another tenant, 
who appeared much sooner than anyone might have anticipated from the aspect of the cabin except as a fresh topic of conversation however the strangers gave small promise of proving an acquisition to the community lisconnel did not like their appearance by any means and further acquaintance failed to modify unfavorable first impressions these were mainly received in the course of the day after their arrival which took place on a night too black for anything beyond a shadowy counting of heads and a perception that the bulk of the newcomer's household stuff had jogged up on one donkey and must therefore be small a portion of big anne's furniture had remained behind her in the cabin owing to certain arrears of rent her heart was scalded she said with the prices she'd only get for her early chuckens and they the way to the world if you'd feel them in your hand and poor mad bell that'd mostly bring home a few odd shillings wid her was away since afore christmas and might never show her face there again the creature a bit of narration which would look funny enough in anybody's rental mrs quigley who went to the door with an offer of a firelight found it shut and a voice inside said as unmannerly as you please no we've matches whereupon another voice further in the interior quavered thank ye kindly so she departed little wiser than she had come but daylight showed that the party consisted of an old man and his son and his son's wife and her sister and three small children besides some cochin china fowl and a black cat with vividly green eyes this much was apparent on the surface also that the old man was frail bent shriveled and civil-spoken that the son was a big soft gomeral of a fellow that both the women were sandily flaxen-haired with broad flat cheeks and light eyes that two of the children resembled them in an infantine way and that the third a girl a trifle older was a dark-haired disconsolate-looking little thing with her face mrs bryan said not the width of a halfpenny herring and the eyes of her sunk in her head as for the fowl there could be no doubt that their unnatural long flufferty legs were fit to make a body's flesh creep and the cat looked as like an old devil as anything you ever witnessed sittin' blinkin' atop of the turf stack other less self-evident facts came out by degrees slower than might have been expected as the strangers were generally close and chary of speech they came from the north where their affairs had not prospered in fact they had been sold up and put out of it as the young man divulged one day to brian kilfoyle they were a somewhat intricately connected family by the name predominantly of patman the sister-in-law was tishy mccrum which seemed simple enough but the two light-haired boys were greens mrs patman having been a widow while the little girl was the child of a wife whom tom patman had already buried for though he looked full young to have embarked upon matrimony at all this was his second venture and it's a queer comether she must have been after puttin on him quoth mrs quigley afore he took up wit herself that's as ugly as if she was bespoke and half a dozen year older than the young bastoon if she's a minute it is true that at the time when mrs quigley expressed this unflattering opinion she and her neighbors had been exasperated by an impolite speech of mrs patman who had said loudly in their hearing well for certain if i'd had a notion of the blamed little dog-hole he was bringing us into sorrow the sole of a foot i'd a set inside it and had been proceeded to congratulate herself upon having left all her decent bits of furniture up above at her mother's so that she needn't be bothered with cartin them away out of a place that didn't look to have had e'er a thing in it worth the trouble of movin not if it stood there until it dropped to pieces with dirt 
Mrs. Quigley rejoined that it would be a great pity if any people stayed in a place that wasn't good enough for them, supposing all the while they knew of ever a better one. Maybe they might, and maybe they mightn't. It was wonderful to hear the talk some folks had with every old stick they owned, an easy loadin' for Riley's little ass. But Judy Ryan, with a flight of sarcastic fancy, hoped that Mrs. Patman and her family were about going on a visit to the Lady Liftinant, because it was much as if they'd find any place else where they'd be grandeur cordin' to their high-up notions. Skirmishes such as this, however, were a symptom rather than a cause of the Patman's unpopularity. That sprang from several roots. For one thing, both the women had harsh, scolding voices, and it was even chances that if you passed within earshot of their cabin, you would hear them giving tongue. Their objurgations were as a rule addressed to the young man or the old, the latter of whom presently grew into an object of local compassion, as a harmless, decent, poor creature, while his son came in for the frank-eyed looking down upon which is the portion of an able-bodied man shrew-ridden through sheer supineness and palthroonery. But what Lisconnel often said that it thought badder of was the stepmotherly treatment which seemed to be the lot of the little girl Katie. Of course the situation was one which under the circumstances would have made people believe in such a state of things upon the slenderest evidence. Still, even to unprejudiced eyes, it was clear that Katie's rags were raggeder than those of her small stepbrothers, and that she crept about with the mean of a creature which was conceived reasonable doubts respecting the reception it is likely to meet in society. When the autumn weather began to grow wintry, little Katie Patman, perishing about out there in the freezing wind, became a spectacle which was viewed with indignant sympathy from dark doorways whence she received many an invitation to step in and be warm in herself. Her hostesses opined that she was fairly starved just for a taste of the fire, and didn't believe she was ever let next to or nigh it in her own place. Often, too, the consideration that she had no more flesh on her bones than a March chicken led to the bestowal of a steaming potato or a piece of griddle bread, but the result of this was sometimes unsatisfactory to the giver, Katie being apt to dart away with her refreshments, which she might presently be seen sharing among Bobby and Huey, for whom she entertained a strong and apparently unreciprocated regard. I wouldn't go for to be saying anything to set her agin them, Mrs. Bryan remarked on some such occasion, but goodness forgive me, I've no likin' for them two little brats. I mistrust them. Ah, sure they've no sense, said Biddy Ryan. Where would they get it? And the biggest of them, I'd suppose, under four years old. Sense, said Mrs. Quigley. Bedad, then, if sense was all that ailed them, the pair of them is as cute as a couple of foxes. I mind a day or so after they'd been in it, I met the last one in the road, and I comin' wit be chance a sugar stick in me basket. So just to be makin' friends like, I gave it a bit for itself, and a bit for the other that I seen comin' along. Well now, ma'am, if it had took and eat up the both bits, I'd a thought near a pin's point of harm. Twould have been natural enough to the size of it but I give you me word, when it seen it couldn't get the two of them swallowed down afore his brother come by, what did it go do but clap the one of them into a crevice in the wall, and cover it over under a blackberry leaf, and wit that down it squats and begins saying, Creely crawly snail, where's the creely crawly snail I'm after hunting out of its hole, let on to be looking for something creeping in the grass, and a while after it came slinking back, when it thought nobody was minding to poke the bit out of the wall where I was gathering dandelions under the bank. So while I was fumbling about, missing the right crevice, says I, popping up, thinking to shame it. Maybe the crawly snail after eating it on you, says I. Oh, yes, I seen it, says the spalpeen, as brazen as brass. Give me another bit instead. 
there's a scheming young rapscallion for you they're too like their mother altogether said judy ryan the corners of their eyes do be as sharp as if they were cut out wid a pair of scissors not that i'd mind if they'd e'er a streak of good nature in them but i misdoubt they have the little girl now is as different as day and night if she takes after a father she's a right to want the wit powerful misfortunate imp said mrs brian or if he isn't a great stupid gomeral and an ass just get me one why if he was worth pickin out of a dry ditch he'd prevent of his own child bein put upon och they have him frighted said mrs quigley with a scornful emphasis they won't let him take an atom of notice of her they're that jealousy sure he gets talkin to her outside the house there one of them'll let a ball and send him off to be carryin in turf and water i've seen it time and again if he'd take and sling it about their ears some fine day he'd be doin right and it might learn em to behave themselves said judy but the old man would disgust you said mrs quigley with the romancin he has out of him about his son tom you'd suppose to listen to him that the omadon's equal never stepped he'll deave you wid it till you're fairly bothered troth he thinks the young one's doin something out of the way if he just walks down the street and expects everybody to stand watchin him goin along it's surprising the foolery there does be in people ach murder woman alive said ody rafferty whose pipe went out at this moment there's no contentin yous at all it's too cute they are and too foolish they are musha very belike they're not so much off the common if you'd a trifle more experience of them there's nothing to match that for even in people bedad now there's some people i know so well that i can scarce tell the one from the other lisconnel however generally declined to fall in with ody's philosophical views and the patmans whether suspected of excessive cuteness or folly remained persistently unpopular there was only one exception to this rule the widow mcgurk has a certain fibre of perversity in her which sometimes twists itself round unlikely objects for no apparent reason save that they are left clear by her neighbours and this peculiarity renders her prone upon occasion to undertake the part of devil's advocate when therefore she had once delivered herself of the opinion that the newcomers were very decent folks she did not feel called upon to abandon it because it stood alone as grounds for it she commonly alleged that they were real hard-working and industrious which was obviously true enough since mrs patman and her sister might constantly be seen tilling their little field with an energy far beyond the capacity of its late tenant her neighbour's unimpressed rejoinder well and supposing they are itself did not in the least disconcert the widdy nor yet their absence of enthusiasm when she stated that it was a sight to behold tishy mccrum diggin over a bit of ground she'd lift as much on her spade as any two men as for little katie she'd never seen anybody doin anything agin the child it might happen by nature to be one of those little crowls of childer that'd always look hungry like and pinin the creatures if you were able to keep feed to them with the best as long as the sun was in the sky in short something more than talk was usually needed to put the widow mcgurk out of conceit with any notion she had taken up perhaps the comparative aloofness of her hillside cabin helped to maintain the patmans at their original high level in her estimation at any rate they had not sunk from it by the time that they had been nearly three months in lisconnel and when mrs patman and her sister were on terms of the very glummest civility with all the other women in the place even towards the widow mcgurk they were tolerant rather than expansive she said they done right enough not to be leapin down people's throats one morning not long after christmas the widow being bound on an errand down below 
called in at the patman's with a view to possible commissions meal was wanted and while tishy mcrum stitched up a rent in the bag mrs mcgurk noticed while little katie who had been took bad with a cold these three days rustled uncomfortably among wisps of rushes and rags in an obscure corner fever made her bold and self-asserted for she was wishing nothing less than that her daddy would get her an orange an orange with yeller peel around it katie laid stress on this point like the one her mammy got her a long time ago and daddy'll be a good daddy and get her another now and she'd keep a bit for bobby and hughie and all of them a big yeller orange katie's eyes blazed with excitement as she reiterated these desires she's got an uncommon fancy for a one said her daddy looking wistfully from the child to his wife they have them down below suggested the widow pence apiece mrs patman's hand was slipping towards her pocket if it was just for once she had begun when tishy tweaked her sleeve viciously and interpolated a rapid whisper it won't be there'll be no ind to it if you begin humourin' them so the sentence was badly dislocated she'll do a deal better without any such trash said mrs patman and walked off to throw sods on the fire just then the widow became aware that old joe patman was grimacing at her from a corner fast by in a way which might have startled her had she not been familiar with such modes of beckoning but when she obeyed his summons what she saw astounded her outright for joe was stooping over a leathern pouch which he had drawn from a wall cranny and which seemed to contain marvellous depths of silver money with here and there a golden gleam among it as he warily stirred it up circling a hurried forefinger she had only the briefest glimpse ere he shoved back the pouch and thrust a sixpence into her hand muttering git her an orange don't be lettin on for your life as she turned away with a reassuring nod she perceived that tishy mcrum was standing unexpectedly near and looking towards them over the top of the meal bag tishy was biting off a loose end of thread which gave her determined and ferocious expression but whether she could have seen anything or not the widow felt uncertain she thought not about ten days after this mrs mcgurk was roused at a very early hour by a thumping on her door when she opened it she found some difficulty in recognizing her visitor as the dawn had scarcely done more than a dim a few stars far away in the east which is an ineffective form of illumination with her now joe patton is it yourself she said peeringly and what's brought you out at all afore you can see a step or a stim is the little girl took worse for katie's illness still continued and had grown rather serious sure no said the old man katie's just pretty middlin but it's waitin i've been the length of the mornin till twould turn broad daylight before i'd be disturbin of you ma'am to tell you the queer sort of joke they're after playin on me down yonder saints above man what talk of you of jokin at this hour of the day or night said mrs mcgurk feeling the unseasonableness acutely as a bitter gust came swooping up the slope and indiscriminately ruffled the rime-dusted grass tufts and her old grizzled locks och be jabbers it's a great joke they have agin me whatever said old patman who was shivering much with cold partly and partly perhaps with amusement you see the way of it was last night no great while after we'd all gone asleep i woke up sudden like as if wid the creak of a door or something but whatever it might be twas slipped beyond me hearin afore i'd got me senses right so i listened a goodish bit and somehow everything seemed unnatural quiet till i heard katie fidgetin and i went over to see would she take a drink of water the lord preserve us and keep us ma'am if all the rest of em hadn't quit 
quit out of it they have and left us clever and clean and now don't be romancing man said the widow remonstrantly what in the name of the nation ud bewitch any people to go rovin out of their house in the middle of the black night with the frost thick on the ground quit they are said the old man tom's gone and the wife and every man jack of them they've took the couple of chuckens i noticed tishy killin of yesterday begorra i believe they've took tib the cat for ne'er a sign of it i see about the place that would be mostly sittin cocked up on the dresser goodness guide us sorra a soul there is in the house but the two of us me and the child and she's real bad it's a queer old joke it'd be a joke of a set of ravin mad people said the widow but the best of it is he went on do you mind ma'am he looked round him suspiciously and lowered his voice the leather pouch you might a seen me with the other day oh said mrs m'gurk are they after taking that on you sure man i thought you had it unbeknownst ay it's took old patman said but how she grabbed it i don't know unless i was thinkin be any chance you mentioned something about it devil a bit of me did averred the widow with truth which her hearer accepted and how much might you have had in it at all troth i couldn't be telling you he said i never thought to count it tis just for the pleasure to meself i keep it this long while back i've put ne'er a penny in it but when we used to be livin up at portnafoyle i'd slip in the old shillin's now and again and sometimes i'd think twould be handy for buryin me and other times i'd think i'd give it to tom as soon as i'd gathered a trifle more only some way the thought of partin wid it would seem to go agin me and since poor tom made a match with martha mccrum tis worse agin me it goes tis that good-for-naught weasel of a slevin tishy's after contrivin it on me quoth the old man with a sudden spasm of resentment tom ud never play such a trick i mean it wasn't he invented the joke he doesn't trouble himself much with jokin he's too sensible and steady and perspicuous an uncommon set on me and the child there's no better son in ireland och but the rest of em mean no harm wid it they're just schemin to drop in presently and be risin a laugh on me steps were promptly taken to verify old joe patman's strange story proved it to be correct in every particular the only fresh fact which they brought to light was the presence of a five-shilling piece lying on the dresser where joe had overlooked it in the early dusk all the other inmates chuckens and cat included had disappeared and with them most of the few movables the old man and the sick child being left as forlorn fixtures lisconnel at large was neither slow nor circumlocutory in forming and expressing its opinion as touching the nature of the joke a firm belief in which old joe resolutely opposed to his troubles as they thickened around him for no tidings came from the absentees or were heard of them while katie's fever ran so high that it seemed likely he would be at small further charges on her account a prospect which however financially sound for a capitalist of five shillings or under none the less filled his soul with grief then one night when katie was at her worst a great gale came rushing and roaring across the bog and when the day broke it discovered the patman's brown thatch sloped interrupted by a gaping crevasse over which a quick plashing rain-sheet quivered the widow mcgurk had less spare room than hitherto for at her disposal now that she harboured a co-tenant with a slight accession of tables and chairs yet she made out a dry corner for the child and her grandfather who accepted these quarters in preference to any others because the widow whatever may have been her private views was prevented by a mixture of contrariness and magnanimity from joining in the general denunciation of her former allies compromising as were the circumstances under which they had elected to take their departure in her society therefore he was not fain to overhear trenchant 
criticisms upon tom's behavior and could dilate at least uncontradicted upon those gifts and graces in the young man which recent events had placed in some need of exposition other disquieting voices there were however which he could not dodge and they spoke louder every day for his five shillings were melting dwindling had vanished and lisconnel with the best will in the world could ill brook a burden of two incapables more laid upon its winter penury no word on the subject had reached the old man's outer ears but as katie struggled slowly and fractiously towards convalescence it became clearer in his mind that unless something happened she must when well enough to be moved seek change of air away at the big house perhaps this prospect was more constantly before him than even the thought of tom's filial virtues as he sat drearily on the bank of widow mcgurk's door he might often be seen to shake his head despondently and then he was saying to himself belike he thought bad of me keeping the bit of money unbeknownst by that time he had abandoned the joke theory and fixed his hopes upon the arrival of a letter to explain the mysterious nocturnal flitting and say whither they had betaken themselves after passing through duffclane the furthest point to which the detective forces of the district had tracked the party young dan o'beirne whose work brought him daily up from down below to the forge halfway towards lisconnel had safely promised to convey this letter so far whenever it came and on many a day the neighbors nodded commiseratingly to one another as they saw the old creature set it off with himself in quest of it the prompt january dusk would have already the prompt january dusk would have already fallen before he struggled up the knockhorn to be greeted by the widow in the tone of marked congratulation which our friends sometimes adopt when all reason for it conspicuously absent well man alive there wouldn't be e'er a letter in it this day anyway och to be sure not at all he would answer cheerfully i wouldn't look to there bein' e'er one sooner than to-morrow i hadn't the notion of expectin a letter whatever twas just for the enjoyment of a bit of a walk i went why to be sure it was but be comin in man for you're fit to drop and be gettin your old brogues dried och man you're drownded entirely tis a mighty soft evenin it's turnin out and here's katie lookin out for you this great while began would say she's finally this night glory be to goodness affairs were much in this posture when the widow was one day perplexed by the occurrence of two small incidents in the first place as she was startin on an expedition to the town she saw at a little distance something running across the road which looked uncommonly like the patman's black cat tib lisconnel owns no other cats for which she might have mistaken it still as she was puzzled to look how the creature should have hidden itself away for more than a fortnight she concluded that she had been deceived by some fluttering bird or glancing shadow in the next place she happened in the town upon one larry donnelly who in the course of conversation remarked so you've that young patman back would use again what took him to be leggin off with himself that way and what put that in your head at all said the widow like nor sight we've seen of him or a one of them or likely to it's off out of the country he is belike and he after robbin his old father that never done talkin foolish about him and leavin his innocent child go starvin into the union bad luck to him she found a free expression of her sentiments rather refreshing after the restrictions under which under which she was placed at home well now said donnelly i'd have bet me pair of best brogues i seen that chap a couple of nights ago strillin along the road down about our place 
but twas darkish enough and i might easy be mistook the widow pondered much over this statement on her homeward way but had the forbearance to say nothing about it she was still undecided whether or no she would communicate it to anybody when next morning on her way for a can of water she saw the black cat unmistakable this time run across the road and as the day before make off over the bog towards the little river widow mcgurk stood staring after it for a few minutes and came to a resolution then she looked about her and was aware of andy sheridan's head leaning against his doorpost of andy her opinion was as we have seen rather low but she could descry no other person available for her purpose so she called to him andy lad i'm goin after me two pullets that's strayed on me come and be givin me a hand andy lounged over to her good-naturedly and they turned into the bog where ody rafferty presently joined them the widow thought her fowl might be among the broken ground where the stream runs at the back of the knockawn and the three went in that direction it was a mild soft grey morning and they met with neither stir nor sound till they came abruptly upon a grassy hollow shut in by furzy banks and fronted by the running water and then the widow who alone had been expecting the unexpected uttered a suppressed screech and said och boys dear goodness gracious guide us End of section 8